This week, again, we have a double portion, which is the portion of Behar B'chukhoisai. It's actually the last two. B'chukhoisai is the last part of the book of Vayikra. We're going to start by Midbar next week. We're also straightening out Israel's Torah reading and our Torah reading. In Israel, they're reading this week just B'chukhoisai. We're reading Bahar and B'chukhoisai. So Parshas Bamidbar is going to be before Shavuos in both in Eretz Yisrael and over here, and we we straighten it out. So that's that's the uh, two Parshas. So we've had basically in the last several weeks. Last week not, but we had Tazria Metzora. They had Achrimos and Kedoshim, and now we have Bahar B'chukhoisai. We had one Emmer in the middle was by itself, and now we have Bahar B'chukhoisai. So, if you have one parsha, there's a lot to discuss. If you have two parshas, there's double to discuss. And um, you know, they say that even a sefer Torah needs to have a mazel, needs to have a good luck, because in the sefer Torah, in the in the ark, presumably, if there is like two or three or four sefer Torahs, and um, you know, every Torah wants to have a chance um, to be read from. So, you need a mazel to have the turn. Sometimes, you know, one Sefer Torah gets neglected over the other Torahs, and you take out uh, the same Torah and you leave some of the other ones. So maybe they feel bad, they feel left out. So it says that even a Sefer Torah in the Eichel needs a mazel that you should read it. There's an old... Um, story that I may have related once, there were two brothers uh, named Rebbe Melech and Rebbe Zusha. They were students of the Magid of Mezrich. Um, and um, in those days, there was a tradition for people who maybe wanted to sort of purify their souls, and they felt that by um, leaving their home and going, so traveling away of the comfort of their place where they live, it would be sort of an atonement for any of the sins that they have done. So they would sort of leave their beds, their homes, their luxuries of whatever luxuries they had, but being traveling on the road would be something that would purify. This was a tradition by many uh, people in those days. So anyway, so one time they stopped by in a tavern and, you know, they didn't have money to pay or anything else, so they said they can they sleep over in a lot of these places there were Jewish people that were the uh, innkeepers they would um, do that as living and they said yeah uh, next to the oven over there on the side there's a space you can sleep over there so they went to sleep the two brothers they went to sleep over there but it just so happened that that particular night there was some sort of a big party going on over there and you know there was uh, some some goyim and they were doing music and and uh, they were looking for entertainment you know something you know they were looking for some entertainment and somebody realized says oh there's a Jew over there a moshka they used to call them a Jew was a moshka lying on the floor over there so they said let's get him up and so they woke him up and they forced him to dance with them and they beat up on him and you know they till the music died down he went back to sleep and the same scenario repeated itself a second time and then a third time. And the one to the outside was Rebbe Lamelech. So finally, so Rebbe Lamelech says to his brother, Rebbe Zusha, he says, look, it's not right. You know, I'm on the outside. They're always going after me. He says, you know, why don't we switch sides? So next time, you know, 
they'll take you, they'll take you, so they'll leave, you know, they'll give you a break, leave you alone, and they'll take me instead. This is good, you know. So, okay, the music starts the fourth time, so the goyim said, okay, let's go. They said, hey, this is not fair. Why are we taking always the guy over here? <laughs> let's go, there. And they said, well, if it's bashert from the Shemayim, it doesn't make a difference what you, what you do. You can't protect yourself. So, things that are bashert, um, you know, happen to you uh, uh, either way. Um, how did it come into that story? Adam, yeah. How do you choose what to, you're going to say? Oh, so that's right. Yeah, Good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, you know, how do you choose what Pasuk, you know, there's so much to talk about. There's so much Sefer Torahs. There's so much to choose from. So it's hard enough to choose when you start one Parsha, two Parshas. What are you going to choose to talk about? So the easiest part is you start from the beginning. So it turns out that most of the time, that you focus at the beginning of the parsha, and then uh, you know the rest of it is left for later. Okay, so very interesting halacha, the laws that are talked about in the very beginning of the parsha. And the right in the very beginning, there's something very strange. I wish there were the sheets here, but you don't have the sheets. So I will have do to. You Maybe it's in the car. Did I it's probably car, but there's no car outside. Uh, let me call it. Are you talking the about the beginning of Bahar or Bahu? Yeah, Bahar. All right, but I don't have to. So we'll talk. But it, it, this this parsha talks about the laws of shemitah. Basically, as we know, the laws of shemitah is that six days a week, uh, six years, you work the field, the land, and on the seventh day is the day of is a year of rest, almost like the Shabbos, like six days you work and the seventh day you rest in the years. Six day, six years you plow the field. The Torah says on the seventh day you uh, seventh year you, you rest. This is Shemitah. No plowing, no sowing, no gathering, nothing. Everything feels this year happens to be a year of Shemitah year in Israel. They have actually a certain procedure in which they sell some of the fields to non-Jews so that they should be able to Someone just do the, the produce. Price, like the new price right yeah. opened. Has a lot of Israeli product. Has, well, she told me about the carrots. Oh. Says she, be careful what are these Israeli oh. products. Yeah. Because why? So they they're sell selling product. They're selling non, like Arabs or something? Yeah. They're selling yeah. carrots. And then what happens is, yeah, well, no, what happens is, no, but they sell over the property, sort of. So this is a whole thing. Okay, but it's sort of a loophole they found in in a way. They don't actually sell it, it's the guy's property. He can do whatever he wants with it, basically. So there's a way, there's some people that question that, but I didn't mean to get into a debate about it, but that's the way, well, that's the way it's done in Israel. During the Gaza War, the crops were cut down and the Arabs came up through the tunnel, and they thought the crops were still going to be high, but they were... It was a Shemitah year. Yeah, so the Shemitah year started last year. Last year. Is it still protected. They protected them. Well, no, and then, yeah, the, 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 one, one, the whole year, there's, I'm not sure exactly from what time when, when the story, what you're talking about, is, but there's a, like 30 days before... The month already, they're not allowed to uh, plow. There is various different, uh, very different halachas. Oh, it's very famous. But the, the bottom line is over here, um, the normal expectation is, as the Pesach of here says, 
you plowed the field for six years and you rested the seventh year. That's the normal procedure. How would you say you work six days and you rest in the seventh day? But the the uh, strange thing is striking, and again, we don't have the Chomish in front of you, but the Pasuk begins and it says, the very first sentence says, speak to the children of Israel, tell them when they come to the land, when they come to Israel, that I am going to give them. The first word says, Vishafta Haaretz Shabbat Lashem. The land should rest a Shabbos for Hashem. It doesn't say anything about working for six years. It doesn't say, it just says, the land should make a Shabbos. The next verse says, Six years you shall sow your fields, and six years you shall prune your orchards. And then you will gather its produce. But in the beginning, so it seems almost that the Shabbos, the Shemitah, comes before the rest of the first few years. But we know it's the other way around. It's interesting, if we try to draw the parallel to Shabbos, on one hand we know the Talmud says, Misha Torah Be'erev Shabbos, Yochal Shabbat. If you put an effort before Shabbat, then you're going to eat on Shabbat. Which basically means Shabbat is the culmination, is the elevation of the six days that preceded. So Shabbos follows the six days. You work six days and you rest on the seventh day. Everything is elevated on the seventh day. But Shabbos also has the other part in it that Shabbos gives the blessing and the energy for the coming six weeks as well. So the Shabbat is not only the seventh day of the six days that preceded, but it's actually the energizing aspect of the six days that follow. Our verse opens up with saying, when you come to the land, the land should be Shabbat Lashem, but that wasn't really the case. And then what does it also mean, Shabbat Lashem? What does it mean, Shabbat Lashem? Shabbat Lashem, Rashi says, it should be Shabbos for the sake of Hashem. Because sometimes people may say, well, when you work the fields nonstop every year, you're actually taking away the energy of the fields. Once in seven years is a natural phenomenon that you should try to let the land rest so that it can produce better. So that would not be a mitzvah for the sake of a mitzvah. It would be just a practical way of using the land in the most efficient and in the most proper way. But the Torah says no. The Torah says you have to rest the Shabbos as a Shabbos Hashem. You have to do it for the sake of Hashem. What does it mean for the sake of Hashem? Not for any purpose of fact, not any purpose of the uh, betterment land. You have to do it for the sake of Hashem. Just like Rashi says, Shabbos Bracious. Every Shabbos that we celebrate Shabbos. We are basically saying God created the world for six days and He rested on the seventh day. So we're resting because God rested. This is basically our testimony 
that God created the world and he rested on Shabbat, so that's why we are resting on Shabbat. So the same thing is, the seventh day, seventh year that we're resting, is because Hashem told us to do so, not because of some sort of a benefit for us, but Hashem told us to do so, and that's why we... So what is this all telling us? And this is all a introduction. The Torah is actually giving us here, it says to you, when you start off, you come into the land, you have to start off with a Shabbos. It doesn't mean practically that it will do a resting, but it means if you start out your work years with the idea that this is going to be a Shabbos, then your work is uh, going to be totally in a different way. What do I mean? What do I say that? Because, of course, we all know that when you sow the ground normally, uh, your expectation is that the ground will produce what you sow in it. And the proof for that is uh, everybody sows. Jew, non-Jew, you plant the ground and it, everybody knows it grows. That's the natural way of things. But we're saying no. We're saying no. That a Jew must know that when things are being done even in the natural way, it is because God wants us to do in the natural way. But really, everything we do is a blessing from Hashem. It's Hashem's energy. We have to realize that when we go out to work the field, it's not because we sow the ground in the field that it's going to work. It works because God blesses us in what we do. Why is that important? It's very important to know this. The Torah begins with that. It's important to know that because when you know that it's not your effort that is making you successful, people attribute, generally, not only in the field, they attribute, why are they so successful? I'm very smart, or I'm very talented, I'm very educated. You know, people think that the reason why they are successful is not because God is helping them be successful, but it's, you know, they figured out how to be successful on their own. And therefore, if that is the attitude, so then you get fully involved in your success, and that's why maybe you're not going to be so careful keeping all the mitzvahs, maybe you're not going to be so honest, maybe you're not going to deal in a fair way, because you believe that the success is in what you do. It's not the blessing of Hashem. But when you know that it's an essentially, that everything you do, you need Hashem's blessings. Hashem blesses you. So then, you know to begin with, as the Pasuk says elsewhere, that Hashem hu hanoisen koyach that God gives you the energy. If you are smart, it's a gift from God. If you are talented, it's a gift from God. If you're successful, God has made you successful. If you have things, thank Hashem and pray to Him and appreciate all the gifts that God has given you. Don't take it for granted and don't take the credit for yourself. If you remember Hashem, then you work, you're going to have time to daven, and you're going to have time to study. You're going to have time to do mitzvahs. Because you know 
that it's the blessing of Hashem. How do I get Hashem's blessing? I get Hashem's blessing by doing what He wants me to do. So instead of trying to gain more by not following the mitzvahs, thinking that it's the more involvement I am in the work is going to make me successful, but if you think about it, it's Hashem that makes me successful, so then you have time for everything, that everything that you do is going to be done in a better way. So the passage begins, the Shabbos Lashem. It starts off with the Shabbos Lashem, which means we have to know it's all about Hashem, and then we can start off the further verses of the six years that you're going to uh, sow the fields, etc. What happens later on? Because at the end of this whole parsha, later on, several verses later, the Torah begins with a question, uh, and that this would be in verse 20, the Torah begins with a question, and it says, And if you shall say, what are we going to eat on this seventh year? We haven't sown. We haven't gathered in the grain even that fell by itself. So what are we going to eat? You're going to say. And God says, I will instruct my blessing to you on the sixth year and it will make so much produce for three years. What, what does this mean? It basically means like this. Every year, there's a natural amount that grows every year. That's what the people do. They grow every year. They grow. Now, notwithstanding that every year there is a blessing from Hashem, but yet the produce that goes on a regular basis every year is based upon the natural way of things work. Now the people ask, but the seventh year, what are we going to eat? There's going to be no, uh, no growth. What are we going to eat? So God says there's going to be a supernatural occurrence is going to be. What's going to happen is that on the sixth year, I'm going to give you so much that it's going to go for three years. Why three years? Rashi explains, what is it three years? Because the way it works is like this. The crops in Israel, anyways, they sow them like right after Sukkot. They, they sow the ground. That's right in the, in the fall they sow the fields. And during the winter, they, they, they're in the ground. Come Pesach, you cut them. And then come the summer months, you store them outside to dry them. And on Sukkot, we bring them into, into, the, into the homes, into the granaries, bring them from the fields. So, what turns out on the sixth year, so comes Pesach, so you, Pesach has to produce for that year, from that year, from Pesach to the end of the year. Now, you're not going to have anything in the seventh year because you're not going to plant anything on the seventh year. It also need for the eighth year because you're not going to plant it until Pesach, uh, you're not going to cut until Pesach, because you're going to plant after Sukkot of the eighth year, but you're not going to cut until Pesach. So it turns out that you have the blessing for three years. Matter of fact, the verse says further, it would be a lot easier if you had the, the text. The verse says further 
that it'll actually go take you in till the ninth year, which means until the sukkahs when you bring in the, the, all the grains. So you'll have an abundance of blessing. But what I want to say is, over here, this seems like to be the utmost greatest miracle. It seems like to be a, a huge miracle that on that year, on the sixth year, God promises and he says, I will make say my blessing. I will say my blessing. I will command my blessing that it will do for you for that year for three years. It will give more than it gives every year. A lot of times we're faced with, this is a pasuk over here, but a lot of times we're faced with the challenge where we think that um, you know, we're going to make out better in, in, in other circumstances. You know, like for example, let's say Sometimes, you know, you, you talk to people, especially, there was a lot of people even that came from, from Europe in the years back, they came to the United States. Um, they, in order for them to survive, they had to go work on Shabbos. So they went to work on Shabbos, so they kept, they went to the stores, whatever they had open Shabbos. And, you know, if you uh, spoke to them, they said, we have no choice because we have to work on Shabbos because... We, we need the money, that's the job. Otherwise, we don't have a job, and that's the way to survive. And again, it's not here to criticize anybody or to judge anybody. Everybody does the best they can at their level. But but the Torah says, basically over here, and the Torah is not afraid to write it down, the Torah says, if you follow my laws, Hashem says, if you follow my laws, I'm going to send you my blessing. You're not going to lose out, and you're not going to... You're not gonna be short of food. You're not gonna have. You're not gonna be You're not gonna have what to what to eat. Uh, but you're actually going to have an abundance. It's gonna be. You're gonna have what it takes. And it, it, it's hard. What do I say? It's hard. We read a lot of letters from the Rebbe in the morning after davening. We read letters to the Rebbe, and you see the Rebbe's full. 100% unwavering amuna belief that everything does come from God. It's easy to talk, but, you know, to say that, the positive to say, but if one really believes, and the Rebbe says all Jews believe it, without a question, we really believe that God is in charge of the world, and He is the one that sustains. I once uh, told over from the Rebbe's um, uh, also, a letter from the Rebbe was very, very telling. I found that a very, um, very interesting point the Rebbe makes over there is that, um, you know, we say that God feeds everybody. God feeds everybody, and the question becomes, how come some people get it directly from Hashem? Then you have other people that live from tzedakah. So the question is, the person that lives on tzedakah, for example, or somebody who's an employee, so you say, no, no, God isn't giving him. The, the rich man is giving him, or the employer is giving him. Is God, God isn't giving him. No, no, no. We're saying God is giving him. But God has certain ways, different ways, the way God feeds different people. Some people he gives direct, and some people he gives through other people. He doesn't give them directly. So the question is, how come God doesn't give everybody directly? 
Why does some people God give through other people? And the Rebbe explains over there because God wants there to be a kind, gentle, a world of compassion, a world of care. God wants people to care. If everybody had everything that they need and nobody, nobody had to be, people wouldn't be exercising their kindness, their compassion, their, their love for somebody else. They would just, everybody has it. What would be like in the old shtetl? What was in the old shtetl, in the old city, in the old country? If you hear from the older people. So they tell you that in the old shtetl, when somebody had a simcha, there was a birth in the uh, in town, in the village, or there was a wedding. The whole town got together, everybody cooked, everybody did. It was like a joint effort. Everybody was involved. What did it do? It brought people closer together. People needed each other. You do so, so when I did my simcha, you were there. When you did your simcha, you were there. Everybody was there. We we worked, we helped each other out. We were combined. We needed each other, and we helped each other. That was very good. But then when you come, Baruch Hashem, thank God, people are more affluent. People don't need, you know, if they need to make a simcha, they hire a caterer. And they pay the caterer, and don't need nobody to cook for them. And when you need to move from one place to another place, you hire a moving truck. You have a, and they move you, so you don't, there's no need anymore and people have grown farther away. You know, people have grown more, more selfish or more, more for themselves. And there's less of camaraderie, the less of a feeling of, 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 of giving and needing one another. That's not good because everybody gains from that feeling. It's good that everybody is affluent enough or that people can help themselves. They don't have to burden somebody else. But that feeling of of unity, of community, and sense of doing things in camaraderie, doing things together, jointly, that's a tremendous feeling and that's a tremendous support that everybody has. So, um, all this, um, 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 again, where am I thought? Where did I go with this? Remind me? <laughs> I'm under the allergy oh, season no. now. My head isn't... Uh, <laughs> 100%. So, the farmer, how we put, Hashem is providing everything. Yeah. I think, oh, we're so smart. That's why we got this, we got that. Yeah. Okay, but in any event, uh, so the point I want to say in all of our lives, a lot of times people think that, um, people think that um, if they bend the rules, they'll be more successful. If they do things, but the truth of the matter is, that it's not actually uh, the case. The Pasuk says, Now, the question is, is this a legitimate question? To say, what are we going to eat? God says, do the mitzvah. Is this a legitimate question? What are we going to eat? Or we're not supposed to ask such questions. Uh, what are we going to eat? Is that a legitimate? See, there's two kinds of questions. You know, the problem that I find and I've heard from other people with texting is when you text, you can never, there's no voice over there. So you don't know, it's angry, is it nice, is it pleasant? A lot of times you take it the wrong way, you know, you don't know. You imagine the person behind the text, is it saying it with a smile 
or are they angry face? But you don't know. I mean, today they add the angry faces or the smiley faces to it. So they have the different ways of how letting you know, know what? How do you know this? Well, to raise rabbi, they would be technical, yeah. Part of the Hebrew. So, you know, it's that, that's part of the problem. But, you know, a lot of times you say the same thing, but you say it in a nice, in a gentle way. You say the same words. Your voice tells what you really mean. And also, if your visual, language. your body language, your physical, your expression, how you say it, and you can say the same thing, and, you know, it's, it, it comes terrible. And then, a lot of times, you know, if you're sure everybody has their own experience, you want to say something to one person, and it goes to the wrong person. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you have the spell checker fix it for you, and make it <laughs> totally something, something different, but you're in such a rush to... To, 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 to get back the answers so you mess it up so you have all these kinds of, of problems that are coming up but as Rebbe explains in this case asking a question what are we going to eat is actually a question which is okay because this is an informer it wasn't a challenging question it was like we find the Jewish people in the desert where they were going they're always complaining now it's like we talked about the other, the other time of the class, you know, it's, uh, you have everything good, like, you know, you have a lot of things good for you, everything is going well. One thing is not going, oh, I'm going to complain about that. But wait a minute, but you know, why don't you look and focus on all the good things, there's a lot of good going on, but we're going to complain, and we're going to find about, so that's complain people that complain. Sometimes the Jewish people behave like that. They were taken out of Egypt, they were free, they're going, they're being provided with all the, their needs, and yet they're complaining. Why complaining when everything is good? Okay, not, not everything, there's something, but the question over here, what are we going to eat, is not in the tone of complaining. It's not that they complaining to Hashem, that man because... That explains something very interesting over here. The Rebbe explains. It seems like the Torah told us about the Shvi, Shemitah. The right place to have this passage, what are we going to eat, should come as soon as the end of the laws of Shemitah. But then it doesn't, doesn't follow. Then the Torah starts talking about the Jubilee years. What happens is, after seven times seven, we have the 50th year. That's called the year of Yovah. Now, the strange thing is, on the year of Yovel, we have two, Shemit, two sabbatical years, one after the other. The 49th year is Shemitah, and then the Yovel year is also Shemitah. So some commentaries, the Abarbanel, he says that um, when the Pasuk says over here, is talking about what are we going to eat once we have two years. He's saying that's why it comes after the Yovel, is because what are we going to eat? Because we have two years of not long. But looking in the verse, the Rebbe argues, it doesn't really follow that way because in the verse it says, what are we going to eat on the seventh year? It doesn't say what are we going to eat on the seventh and the eighth year. It just says, what are we going to eat on the seventh year, number one. And number two, the issue is not only if there's two years, which comes once in 50 years. So we're going to say, that if you're going to say, what are we going to eat 
something that happens once in, once every 50 years, that's the only argument that you're going to say, what are you going to eat? That's not something that happens. What about something that happens every year? So still the question is, why did the Torah wait till after the Yovel to say, when you say what you're going, to, what are we going to eat? So the Rebbe says, that's the difference between somebody who's a complainer and somebody who just wants to know. He says, a complainer, as soon as you say it out of your mouth something, as soon as you say something, right away they're going to complain, they'll jump on you. Somebody who wants to find out lets you finish and lets you complete, complete the whole sentence and after hearing all the information, and then if they have questions, they ask questions. So the Rebbe says that that's why this verse was placed over here, because this verse is actually telling us that the Jews weren't complaining. The Jews were actually asking an informational question. They wanted to know, how is it going to be? How is this going to work? And that makes all the difference. Like we learned, read earlier, like we read by the, uh, by the manna, like we read that when the Jews were put in the desert, there was no water to drink, when there was no food to eat, Food to eat, they had a reasonable, you know, Hashem said they had a right to ask for food because what are they going to eat? That was a uh, question. Which, by the way, uh, it strikes me all the time that um, the the fact that, um, you know, it's sort of taken as a criticism for the Jewish people, they were complaining. But, you know, we have to remember there were so many people there, they weren't, like today, we plan ahead. Everything is, we know, we have to have a plan. We have a, a, a you know, a spreadsheet, and everything is uh, figured out. And we have goals and objectives, and we know where we're going, and we know what we're gonna do. I told you, I had once a somebody called me. It's a true story. Somebody called me. He said that they love a certain band that plays. They love a certain band, and her son is gonna be by mitzvah. She says in three years from the time that she writes me. And she wants to know it's a very expensive Chabad. Can you use that same band in three years from now? <laughs> I said, I'm organized, but I'm not that organized. <laughs> she was worrying about three years later whether we would be interested. But um, the Jewish people were a lot of times kept till the last minute. They were kept waiting. They weren't told there was going to be a manna. They weren't told there was going to be water from the well. They weren't told anything. But they had the faith in themselves. And that's why we say in the uh, prayer, in the Rosh Hashanah prayer, Zacharti Midbar, that God merits them, the Jewish people, for following him in a desert because they didn't know of all these things. They trusted Hashem was somehow going to make it work for them. So when they came later on and asked, you know, how or what are they going to eat, they didn't even come like two weeks before. It says the day that they finished the bread that they took out, or the matzah they took out from Mitzrayim, that was the day they got the manna. So there was like no waste, there was no time in between. Like a week before, we don't find them asking, oh, a week from now, what are we going to do? No, no, they they followed Moshe Rabbein. That was pretty... Um, trusting, I mean, of them, pretty trusting Moshe Rabbeinu. So, in this case, the, um, 
the uh, the pasuk says that uh, they they asked. I think this is also a broader uh, a broader thing about Yiddishkeit. You know, in some religions you're not allowed to ask questions. You know, any questions you ask is you know is challenged. You know, you got to believe, and that's it. That's what the but by our tradition, questions are welcome. Actually, we see the whole, uh, the whole Seder and the whole Haggadah and everything is a question-answer. And we question, why do we want to know answers to questions? Because, of course, we can just do things, but then it's sort of cold and dry. We're not excited about it because we don't know why we're doing certain mitzvahs, why we're doing them. But if we can explain it or we can get us excited, then the mitzvah will have so much more meaning. We'll do it with so much more energy. And here, actually, we find the same word in the Haggadah. I'm sure everybody's put the Haggadah away just for until next year. But in the Haggadah, you also find that the evil son and the smart son, who are the two opposites, they seemingly ask the same sort, they use almost the same words. And yet, as we said before, it really depends how the tone of voice and what you're saying. They say exactly almost the same words. The Chacham says, what is the service that Hashem commanded? And he says, etchem. What does it mean etchem? Etchem is you. To you. You. Why is it to you? What does Hashem command to you? That's his question. What does the Russia say? lochem. To you. But over here the Pasik says, to you, but not to him. And because he excluded himself, you blunt his teeth, etc. But wait a minute, the, 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 the Chacham also said, why did I come, Shem? Tell Eschem also said, you. They both said the same word, you. He said, Lochem, and he said, Etchem. He says, you. They both said, you. But like we said, it really depends upon how you say it. Because, as is explained, he says Hashem Elokeinu, our God. He includes himself. And the word you over here means you that you were taken out of Egypt. It's references to them. But physically it took place with his parents who were taken out of Egypt. But over here, you means you but not me. How do we know how to interpret that? Okay, so we have the interpretation in the in the um, in the Haggadah, but we know that's depending upon how we sing the tune. Do we say the question, or do we challenge? Is it a challenge to Hashem, or is it just an inquiry? So, inquiries are not only uh, proper, but they're actually welcome. We should ask, and we should learn, and we should study. As the Rambam writes in the Hasidic literature writes, we have to believe in God and we have to know God. Which means, to the extent that we can know, know to rationalize, to understand, we must use our intellect to understand. For those parts that are beyond understanding, so then, okay, then we have to sort of believe. We also need to believe in Hashem. We're uh, the... Uh, intellect stops to work where we can't uh, reach the intellect. And yeah? Were the Jews asking on the 49th year, what will we eat, or on the 50th year? 
Not the 49th and not the 50th year. The question is on the 7th year. But that I understand, but when it was going to get to be the Yovel, weren't they used to every 7 years Hashem providing? Why would they ask uh, for yes. the 2nd year? For the 49th year, why would they ask? Like if they had been getting every 7 years prior to that. Okay. The Abarbanel, uh, according to, that's, I mean, that's a good point. But the Abarbanel, I guess, who is the, says this idea, I guess he says that the main question is um, when there's two years. Yeah. Um, and the Chumash is not written um, at the time that the question takes place. We're writing it now. What is going to be if you shall say... Um, Apparently, the people that are going to study the laws, the people that are told now the laws, and by the way, this law of Shemitah was not only Yovel, but even Shemitah was many years away because it only started after 14 years, after the 40 years in the desert. It was a long, long time away. Uh, It's basically an academic question that the people over here in the desert are going to ask, they're going to hear the law that you're going to, that you're going to have a Shemitah when they get later on. So they're going to ask now, what are we going to eat? According to the Barbanel, it's when the Jews heard that there's going to be two years that they're not going to be able to sow the grain. Then they're going to ask, what are we going to eat since we had two years? But it's not then they're going to ask. They're asking the question, now, how are we going to be able to keep this law at that time over there? Again, both of them challenging or inquiry can be now about what's going to be. You can either challenge and say, no, this cannot be a good law. Or you can say, how is this really going to work? And then they have a question and then you get the answer. But um, this is one of the reasons that the Rebbe also brings out why uh, this mitzvah was chosen. And that is also a whole big thing in the beginning, that this mitzvah is unique because Hashem knew that there's a long time in coming, and still God tells them all the details of the mitzvahs while they were in the desert. So even though it wasn't applicable to them, and what could it mean to us in several parts? First of all, we know we learn a lot of parts of Torah that may be not applicable. So like today, we learned about the Parsha. And what we try to do is to apply it to ourselves. We try to apply it to ourselves to say to ourselves that we need to know that if we follow the ways of Hashem, even though it seems like we're giving up, that we're losing, but we need to know that we follow Hashem. Hashem will send us the blessing. It'll be okay. Don't get excited about what it seems just at the surface. So we try to take a lesson for this in our own lives. But yet, then we also learn from a lot of times we study Torah, which laws that don't apply to us today. We're just talking about the laws of the Torah. So that's also the teaching for us from the laws of Shemitah. Why would God give all the details of all the laws of the Shemitah and to add this to the, to the discussion also, that you're going to say, what are you going to eat? It's not even now. What do we worry about? Let's worry. Let's cross the bridge when we get there. You know, we'll, we'll, we have, but they, no, no. Let's 
The Torah tells us, so we study stuff, we study Torah, even aspects that are not applicable to us, because that is what the Torah is teaching us over here, that it's all part of Hashem's Torah. And the same thing is true uh, in, in all aspects of, uh, of life, you know, even sometimes maybe mitzvahs uh, that we think that are not so applicable right now, but still, you know, the studying of them is of great value that we, we, we study about it. And as in here, you can always find uh, a lesson. And the lesson of the Shvi is that as uh, Shemitah is, six years you may be engrossed and involved in the work and labor, but you got to leave some time for your spiritual life as well. Can't be fully occupied just a full day with the material life you have to, and then the field do better and you do better as well. You do L'Shem Hashem. You must set yourself, if you want to be a healthy person, if you want to be, um, whether a healthy mother, a healthy spouse, uh, you need to be able to not be caught up. You got to do, you got to rest and you got to relax. And you got to do something for yourself as well. You got to do something spiritual for your own self, for your own health. And then you can keep on going. But if you keep on going nonstop and you never take a break, then uh, you don't have the Shemitah. Then you're not going to get the blessings. The blessing comes, one can say, why did God have to make a Shemitah? and send blessings to do change things around. She just sends this blessing every year normally. But God wants to show us that we have to get out of the normal mode. We have to stop once in seven years or once, uh, once a week on Shabbos. Stop all these things that you're doing. Take a break and make it Shabbos. Make it holy and spend the time right and then you'll be successful. It was a lot difficult today.